0: Thanks for tuning in to Barber's Shop Sports Talk.
1: on my feet when i go step to the mic i cannot name an opposition i could say that i like and if you step in my position you would say that i'm right i'm like tyson in the booth but i don't talk with a list i see you trying to run your mouth you look like stephen a smith i thank god the odds against me but i'm coming out strong i survived a heat check but now i'm back like lebron uh. Oh, thanks for tuning in to the 71st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via WJCU this Saturday morning, 7.30 a.m., or Google Podcasts, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Whoever you're listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Host Daryl Lane, as always. I am super excited. I got a pep in my step. Sunday, Super Bowl, the moment we've all been waiting for, the crowning achievement of sports. Uh, we're going to have Arif Hassan on, Minnesota Vikings, beat writer for the Athletic. We're going to have him on in about 14, 15 minutes. We're going to talk to him about a bevy of thanks from Kirk Cousins to the to the overall team success of the Vikings uh, this year or the lack thereof. So that's going to be an interesting interview. You're going to want to hold on for that. But but here's where I want to start before we get into any football, because I'm a football guy. I love football. But first, we're going to talk about, you know, basketball a little bit, because, The NBA, ironically enough, the NBA's stolen the headlines, has stolen the headlines on Super Bowl week. The NBA sure knows how to create drama. So this is what happens, right? The week of the Super Bowl, we have the Rams Patriots, we have Tom Brady versus Jared Goff, so many storylines in the NFL, young versus old, right? Two California quarterbacks going at each other, Goff, Brady, uh, Offensive mastermind Sean McVay, defensive mastermind Bill Belichick. We have everything going full circle. Patriots. The Patriots first Super Bowl won under Tom Brady. Bill Belichick came in 2001 when they beat the St. Louis Rams. Now the St. Louis Rams are now the Los Angeles Rams, and now they're playing against the Patriots again, and kind of a revenge factor. Tom Brady, six ring. Is he the goat, the greatest athlete ever? We have discussions. Bill Belichick. Is he the greatest coach ever? Is this the greatest tandem ever? So many storylines in this, but we're talking about anthony davis requesting a trade from the new orleans pelicans we're talking about christoph porzingis getting traded to the dallas mavericks we're talking about lebron james announcing that he is coming back had a groin injury and we're talking about kyrie irving he might not resign with the boston celtics and he could possibly have reunion with lebron james the nba is hot and spicy there is always a lot of good stuff in the nba you know, and I've always said this: the NBA does not compare to the NFL in terms of product on the field. The NFL—it's—it's it's one game a week. It's easier to follow basketball. There's three days. It's, there's games three days a week. Uh, I like the the physicalness, of the contact. It's more entertaining. Uh, football just a better overall product on the field. But where basketball has football, and we're seeing this now, it's the drama, it's the uncertainty, it's the climax, it's all the stuff that has nothing to do with sports. It's trades. The NBA rules sports when it comes to trades, North American team sports. And the NFL's lagging behind. This is kind of like the little brother's getting a little bit of attention, and don't tell me the NBA does not love this because I I know Adam Silver and then the executives in the NBA they are kicking and cackling and they are laughing right now because they know they are stealing headlines from the NFL during Super Bowl week, the most important game in American sports, the most important game in sports, most watched uh, event in sports, one of the most I believe it might be even be the most watched event uh, with for any television program and. The NBA stealing headlines because there's drama and there's traits going on. It's like the little brother finally getting attention uh, from, uh, from 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 uh, the big brother, and uh, the big brother's kind of pissed. You know, I remember that happened to me one time. Uh, I, I was the apple of my mother, and my father's eye until I was about one and a half years old, and then my mom got pregnant, and then my mom brought this lovely little boy home, and he was like, "Hey, Daryl, you got a little brother." And I'm like, "Okay, mom." Didn't really ask for that, but I guess I'll take him. And then soon, grandma, aunts, uncles everybody started wanting to play with john john was the cute one i was kind of like the toddler nobody cared about you know but that's just my little rant right there actually funny story uh for my little uh, my little brother i call i cried to my uh, grandma one time and i said gentle gentle i because and i was crying about gentle because i think john was getting on my nerves which is kind of weird how a baby could get on a toddler's nerves but he was like he does now but uh I was calling him gentle because my mom and dad always say, be gentle with John, be gentle with John, because everybody would want to hold John because John was the cute little cuddly baby. And then when I to touch him, I was kind of like aggressive. I was kind of like handsy, like, Daryl, you can't do that. Daryl, you can't do that. So it's like the little brother taking attention from the big brother. And that's what this is. The NBA is the little brother. The NFL is the big brother. But we're talking about the little brother right now. I'm talking about the little brother right now because the little brother deserves it. Kristaps Porzingis going to the Dallas Mavericks. You have him and Luka Doncic now. That's like the, the the best Euro tandem, the best foreign tandem, since Steve Nash and Dirk Nowinski, who ironically played in Dallas together. We have AD, AD, Anthony Davis, star player in the NBA. Lakers, Celtics, two rivals competing to see who can get him. Kyrie Irving, reuniting with LeBron James. Like, this stuff, you can't make this stuff up. This is why I love the NBA. Why I love the NBA, but I had to give the NBA a little bit of love. Okay, and remember, Arif Assam will be coming up in about seven, eight minutes. We're going to have him on. Now we're going to talk about some football. Finally, get into really deep football. Uh, I will be making my predictions here. And before I make my predictions, Rams Patriots, who I have winning and why, I just want to say this. I never try to get too emotional when it comes to sports, right? I've always tried to be kind of stone faced, you know, be analytical, you know, call it how I see that. I try not to get emotional, uh, You know, I just... That's how I... I judge an athlete by their talent, not how much I like them, not how much I want to root for them. That's what I do. You know, uh, people say, why don't you do this stuff about... Why don't you talk about the Bills? And I always say, the Bills aren't giving me anything to talk about. And then people have gotten mad at me when I said, you know, I'm talking about the Bills and... I don't like Josh Allen because I think Josh Allen sucks. And then I'm my uncle and my dad, they're kind of getting mad at me. We had this whole emotional thing. And it's just because I try to detach myself from being so emotional. Yes, I'm a Bills fan. Yes, I root for Josh Allen. But I'm just saying my pre-evaluation of Josh Allen was not good. By the way, Josh Allen has impressed me a little bit more. But I mean, and I'm going to say how I feel. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to let emotions rule my judgment. And I'm going to have to break that rule today for the first time. My head is telling me that the Los Angeles Rams are going to blow out the New England Patriots. Let me repeat. My head is telling me that the Los Angeles Rams will blow out the New England Patriots. Here is why. See, in football, football is an interesting game. It's pretty simple. When you have the bigger, faster, stronger athletes, you usually win in any sport. That's what the Rams have. The Los Angeles Rams... They have the best big three in the NFL. Aaron Donald, star defensive tackle. Jared Goff, star young quarterback. Todd Gurley, star running back. Aaron Donald and Todd Gurley both won Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year last year. Jared Goff was an MVP candidate for most of the year uh, for this season. Sean McVay, young, a hotshot offensive mind. Talented in the defensive backfield. Marcus Peters, to Tlaib. Not to mention the defensive line. We already have Aaron Donald. Then you're bringing Dante Fowler Jr., who's coming off the edge, Michael Brockers, who's a beast in sight, and Sue, Sioux, who's a terrorizing force. You are loaded with talent all across the board. And I haven't even gotten to Brandon Cooks, one of the fastest wide receivers in the NFL, and Robert Woods, one of the most underrated wide receivers in the NFL. The Rams have a great offensive line and a great uh, system. And their backup running backs has been playing better than Todd Gurley lately. What a luxury. What a luxury. And you want to know what the Patriots have? The Patriots are relying on a 41-year-old quarterback. A 65, I believe, plus head coach who's grumpy. And both of them, people are saying, are having a power struggle still. Rob Gronkowski, their tight end, who is a shell of his former self, even though he's still great in the blocking game. He's a shell of his former self athletically in terms of uh, making plays, in terms of catching, catching passes. Their best receiver is Julian Edelman, whether you like, love, or hate him, or think he's overrated or underrated. He is a slot receiver. He can't extend the field. He can't go vertically. He's a 7'10 yard, middle of the field, possession wide receiver. Same with Chris Hogan. Philip Dorsett, nothing to write home about. The Patriots have a good offensive line. Have a good offensive line. The defense? Average. They give up a lot of yards. They're their average in terms of how much points they give up. They're they're well-coached, but the talent is not there. If I was using my head, I would tell you that since Sean McVay might be is a better offensive mind than Kyle Shanahan was when the New England Patriots played the Atlanta Falcons, that when the Los Angeles Rams are up 28-3 going into halftime against the Patriots, they're going to run the ball and not pass it. And Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, that comeback never happens. I could tell you that I think this could be Denver-Broncos-Seattle-Seahawks Part 2, 43-8 Smackdown. I could tell you that after this game Sunday, we're going to be thinking, is this the end of Belichick and Brady? Did Tom Brady fall off the cliff? Are the Rams the next dynasty? But you want to know what? I would say that if I was thinking with my head, and you know, Shaq Bailey, a shout out to Shaq. I, I, I told Shaq, I was like, you know, I think the Patriots might blow him out, and Shaq told me Daryl what the hell are you talking about? And then I snapped and I was like, what am I feeling in my heart? What am I feeling in my heart, right? Because sometimes in sports, while we always, while I always try to go with my head and logic, sometimes it's just a gut feeling. And actually, I will tell you why I have a gut feeling the New England Patriots will win. See, story time. About two years ago, my freshman year of college, I was sitting in my dorm room uh, and I was watching the Super Bowl. I was watching the, Falcons and the Patriots play each other. I saw the Falcons up 28 to 3 at halftime. And then I saw Tom Brady pull up the most miraculous comeback I've ever seen, the most miraculous comeback I've ever laid eyes on. And after that, I literally bowed my head down and said, "Tom Brady, I will never doubt you. I will never disrespect you. I will never bet against you. You are the GOAT, and that is what I will do till Tom Brady retires." I will never bet against Tom Brady. I will not do that. I will be. I will let Tom Brady prove me wrong. I'll let him prove me wrong. But I will not bet against that man because I've seen the greatness. I've seen the clutchness. I've seen what he can do. I've seen how he gets more accurate in the fourth quarter. I see how he gets better in the fourth quarter. I see how he doesn't get unfazed when he gets hit over and over and over again. Aaron Donald's going to hit him upside his mouth. Dante Fowler's going to hit him. He might throw a pick to Marcus Peters. He might throw a pick to a keep to a leap, but that won't phase Tom Brady. That won't phase him. He's done this nine times in counting. This is chump change. This is easy money. Tom Brady's taking a test, folks. He already knows the answer to them. Here is my score. 31-30 Patriots. Tom Brady last second drive. Why wouldn't I say that? Every Super Bowl he's won, he's always come up big in the fourth quarter. He came up big in the Giants in 07. He he brought the Patriots down the field to go 14-10. To, to go up 14-10, David Tyree happened, right? 2011 Super Bowl, New York Giants has Wes Welker. Wes Welker drops the pass. Going gun for gun, going point for point with the Eagles. One bad fumble, one bad play. Tom Brady will be there in the end, and he will make the plays needed. I will never bet against that man. 31-30, to the dynasty continues. Now, coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're we're going to have Arif Hassan on the show. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're back with Barber's House Sports Talk. We have a special guest with us, Arif Hassan. He covers the Minnesota Vikings for The Athletic. How are you doing, Arif? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, the first question I want to ask you. So, the Minnesota Vikings, last year at this time, you know, they're coming off an NFC Championship game loss. You think coming into this year, you have a whole offseason. You bring in Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins, from Case Keenum, you think this team has a chance to be even better. And kind of, they just don't replicate the same success. What do you attribute that to? Well, I think there's a lot of things. You know, obviously,
0: uh, you know, Cousins and Keenum aren't, aren't the same quarterback. But I think a lot of it just has to do with, you know, I think that the ball bounced the right way a lot uh, in, in 2017. So, uh, you know, they, they don't have as much in terms of what to rely on. Um, I do think that Cousins is a better quarterback, but he kind of thrives in the situation that the Vikings were put into last year, and, and, and those situations also happen to be kind of a weakness uh, for Cousins. So we saw more instances where we saw, you know, play under pressure, you know, it wasn't a very good offensive line, uh, and that, I think, kind of set the offense back in a lot of ways. Uh, but beyond that, you know, we also saw that, uh, you know, Cousins doesn't have a great reach that of the situation. You know, he's great you know, on first and 10 when you don't have uh, a particular goal that you want to accomplish, but when it gets to, you know, a two-minute goal or something like that, you know, he does have uh, some problems, you know, pushing the ball down the field, reading the context of the situation, making sure not to take three-yard games in the middle of the field. So, uh, though he's been a better quarterback in a lot of situations, uh, he has to work on situational football and has
1: some problems with playing under pressure. So you think the biggest difference between Kirk Cousins and uh, Case Keenum is just you know, Case Keenum, you know, he has whatever you want to call it, whether it's the ed effect, or just that persona. You know, he has the confidence to try to make those plays in pressure situations where Kirk doesn't necessarily have that ability yet.
0: Right, and I would argue that Keenum uh, doesn't necessarily always have the talent to make, you know, those plays work for him. But he does have the ability to take those chances. And you know, he's very, um, you know, into making sure that, you know, knowing that, you know, 30 seconds left in the half, you have to push the ball very far down the field. He's not necessarily accurate in those situations, but when you've got players like Stephon Dave and Adam Thielen who have the ability to make cornerbacks accurate just by the way that they play, um, all you need to do is give them a chance. And so the biggest issue was that very often you would see that Cousins was not giving those players the chance that they needed in order to impress. Uh, so, uh, yeah, in a lot of situations, you know, you know, crafted, I think, uh, you know, better opportunities, even if you know, those opportunities are very, very difficult uh, for receivers to convert because with the challenge that they have at receiver, uh, they were able to, to make
1: those into play. So do you think this is kind of, uh, and I'll just compare this a little bit to the Eagles situation where you see the team, for some reason, performs better when Nick Foles is there, uh, as opposed to Carson Wentz, even though most people, everybody knows Carson Wentz is a better quarterback. It's just, for whatever reason, just when that person's there under center, the team just functions better. It's-
0: that kind of aggressive style of play, again, just given kind of who those receivers are. Um, Again, I I do think that there was a fair amount of luck involved. I think that the Vikings benefited from a bunch of beneficial bounces of the ball. You know, we saw, you know, a lot more drop interceptions, I think, from uh, from K.S. Keenum. We saw a lot of plays that, I mean, you wouldn't even expect the best receivers in the NFL, which, you know, these guys are. Uh, to be able to convert, and just on the on the, on the the fairest of chances, they were able to turn those into big plays and stuff like that. So, you know, there is also an element of luck that I think plays a big role that you just can't ask for again. Um, but, yeah, they, they uh, didn't have to worry about fumble recovery all that often. In in the 2018 season, here the Vikings, were one of the worst teams at recovering fumbles. That tends to be something that's a little random, and it doesn't tend to fall on the quarterback as much. So, um, you know, I think that it is a little bit of that where – where the team does function a little bit better with that kind of play style. Uh, but also, uh, you just have to attribute some things to luck. I mean, not everything
1: is, is controllable. Now, how, how do you think players in the locker room feel? Because uh, you see a lot of the time, I mean, you have success with one guy, and then another guy comes and you don't necessarily see that, that same success, whether it's luck or, you know, whether it's just play. You know, how do you think the players in the locker room feel? They might know Kirk is more talented, but they're like, well, winning the most important thing. We won more win cases How do you think the players in the locker room feel about it?
0: Yeah, I think that the players, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the players kind of felt that way. But I think kind of all of them agree that, that you know, with Cousins being a better quarterback, that the offense should function a little bit better. It seems like some of the resentment was driven a little bit towards, you know, maybe the offensive coordinator, John DeFilippo because the offense really took off. As he took over as the offensive coordinator. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't really think that there's a ton of players. I'm sure there are some. If um, you take a good look at at feeling and Diggs, mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they, in particular, um, felt, you know, any resentment that the Vikings decided to get with Cousins over
1: Keenum. Now, when you talk about, you know, the, the, these, some traits that Kirk doesn't have, you know, like just those press situations, can Kirk Cousins learn those skills? Because some people would say, you know, you either have that fact or you don't. Can Kirk Cousins learn to be that guy? Uh, in theory, you know, you don't
0: see it happen very much in the NFL. Um, some of the traits you know, he's just not going to have because Keenum is just a much more athletic quarterback. And, and Cousins is an underrated athlete, but he himself doesn't use, you know, that athleticism. So uh, in, in some aspects of, of the athletic skills that Keenum had, he's got great balance in the pocket. He's got a great sense pressure. He's ability to run away from pressure. Those are things that Cousins doesn't have, and I don't know that he ought to be able to learn those or gain those things. But, you know, beyond that, if you take a look at, you know, the kind of aggression. Uh, that, that Keenum has, it is possible, you know, for a quarterback to get more aggressive over the course of their career. We saw it with Alex Smith, you know, who's gotten more aggressive as a quarterback in the last couple of years. Um, we, we see that with you know Tom Brady, you know, for the first couple of years of his his career, he wasn't very aggressive, uh, and, and he decided to kind of push the ball down the field a little bit more, can so do that. With it. Um, but you know, for the most part, you don't tend to see quarterbacks change their play styles. So it is possible. That that they can they can uh, have cousins learn some of the qualities that make Keenum so distinct as a quarterback. But really, I think the best bet for the Vikings is they can craft a better offense than the one they had with, uh, with with Keenum. If they invest in some of the things that make cousins comfortable, things like an offensive line that suit you know his play style, because when he gets to play his kind of football, you know he can be a better quarterback than Keenum when he gets to play his football. That
1: makes sense. Now, how much of a part do you think is the reason that they didn't make it back to the NFC Championship game is from a simple fact that if you look back from last year, none of the teams that made their respective championship games went back there except for the Patriots. The Patriots make it to the championship game every year, so they're kind of the anomaly. But the Eagles weren't back in the championship game, the Vikings weren't, and neither were the Jaguars. You think part of that just the NFL, just the turnover?
0: Yeah, part of that really is. You uh, know, the NFL is a league that has a ton of parity, and, and it's because of a lot of things that they do to invest, in making sure that it's very, very difficult to repeat as a champion. Um, you know, some of it just has to do with the salary cap and draft picks. You know, the better you are, the, the more difficult it is to retain good players because of the salary cap. More difficult it is to acquire good players through the draft. Uh, some of it, you know, I think that there was just so much flukiness with those teams that made it. I think. Uh, the Jaguars are a good example. The Vikings are a good example of teams that uh, were able to, like, win contested catches, win a lot of turnovers. You know, those things don't tend to repeat from year to year. Uh, and so I'm not I'm not surprised about that. The Eagles, you know, you have to deal with a little bit of injury in to personal end. Uh, and so uh, some of it, I think, is just, hey, that's the way the NFL works. He keeps them getting far. They won't get far again. Uh, but some of it's just that uh, it's just Man, you know, how we've got hurt. Um, so uh, it's a little bit of A, a little bit of B. The NFL definitely tries to make sure you know that these things don't tend to repeat all too often. And we saw that and even after the Broncos won the Super Bowl, they didn't make the playoffs. I think the next year, right? So uh, those, those are just things that tend to repeat year after year after year, unless you're the Patriots, like you said.
1: Now, a question I do want to ask you about uh, Case Keenum: whose call was it to get rid of Case Keenum and to go after Kirk Cousins? Like, who in the organization, like who, whose idea was that? Because you usually don't see that when you see a team go to the NFC Championship game with one player, especially in the player as important as the quarterback, and then it changes. Whose call was that? Well, I don't know
0: that it was any individual uh, within the Vikings organization, but I do think that Spielman and Zimmer agreed on it. You can actually take a look at some of the things that were said about Keenum's play over the course of that season. Um, where where Zimmer made it pretty clear that you know he was kind of surprised uh, that Keaton was doing this well, and that he didn't think that it was something that would kind of maintained itself. You know, he you know he liked that uh, that Keaton had a nice big brass one, I think, is, is maybe the funniest way to put it. I mean, he also said that Kinnam was playing with a horseshoe around his neck and so on. He kept on saying stuff that made it seem like he wasn't really all that convinced that Keenum was going to be a successful quarterback kind of down the road. And you take a look at what Keaton did in Denver. Uh, And and he's kind of right about that. Uh, I think Spielman's kind of the same way, that he thought, you know, kind of based on Keenum's history and even a lot of the stuff that happened during the year, that Keenum did great stuff, but that he wasn't going to be able to repeat it. Uh, And so the Vikings, the goal for the Vikings, obviously they want to play better than they did in in 2017, but the goal is not to get a quarterback who's going to put up better numbers than Keenum uh, did in, in 2017. The goal is to find the best possible quarterback for 2018. He was in that conversation, but he was just as unlikely to repeat, you know, what had happened as would any other quarterback that you bring in. It's just such a difficult piece to replicate. So, you know, a lot of people want to compare, I think, to 2017, and that makes a ton of sense. You always want to be better than last year. But the real comparison is, how good would Keenum have been in 2018? And I don't think he would have been all that great. Um, and the Vikings seem to agree, um, versus, you know, bringing in a quarterback. You know, I thought that they overpaid for Cousins, but I understand what the, what the goal was there. Because... They're not, they, they don't themselves want to compare you know, Cousins to what Keenum did in 2017. They want to compare Cousins to what they expect Keenum to do in 2018 or what they expect Teddy to do in 2018 or what they would expect Sam Brad to do in 2018. So uh, you know, there were a lot of people in the organization who kind of all kind of agreed that that though Keenum did some great stuff, that they wanted to move in another direction. There was definitely not just one person uh, who made that decision, but I can tell you that Zimmer was definitely on board uh, and, and the feeling was
1: a big part of that decision making process so you're saying the feeling around the organization was that Case Ketum could not play any better than he played uh w- 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 what it's going to be two seasons ago and that he kind of topped off and the only you know you can only go up you go up so high then you have to go down eventually during regress that was kind of the feeling yeah yeah there were a lot
0: of signs that you know Ke was uh, was left aggressive these were the most contested catches in the NFL had you a know, high uh, turnover or play rate, where he had a lot of dropped interceptions. Uh, his sack avoidance was, was special, but it's also you know anybody who avoids sacks on like all but two percent of pressure plays is going to get sacked a lot again, especially with the long ball. You know there are a lot of parts where um, you take a look at some of the things that made Keenum's offense go. And you say you know those things don't repeat from year to year. Um, so that that was that was kind of a feeling, yeah.
1: Now, really quickly for me, could you contrast uh, contrast both uh, Kirk Cousins and Case Keenum's leadership styles? Like, how are they different as a leader?
0: Um, that I think uh, Keenum is is probably um, a better quarterback with that regard in that particular skill. I think that um, Keenum kind of more easily connects with a lot of players, uh, and so uh, for him, you know, I think that uh, a lot of it, it comes through his charisma. Uh, and that he has the ability to connect to players on a, level, uh, a lot of levels. Um, whereas I think for Cousins, uh, for him, you know, once you get to know him, he's a great guy, but it's actually really difficult to kind of get over that. Um, it, it always seems like, you know, there's a facade there with Cousins, and there isn't. It turns out that's just kind of how he is, who he is all the time. But uh, it is kind of difficult to, to connect with him. And so for Cousins, in his style of leadership, it has to really just be, more through example than it is uh, with the kind of conversations that you tend to have and in and locker rooms and stuff like that because he tends to be much more professionally oriented in terms of his approach to football. You know, he knows it's a business. He thinks that all the players know that it's a business and that he's going to kind of conduct, you know, the, his offense as if he's kind of a CEO. Uh, and it takes a little bit of time, I think, for, for players to get used to this they switch from one quarterback to the other. Um, so uh, it actually kind of matches their play styles. Their leadership styles are not that distinct. From the way they actually play you know Keenum was was much more likely to to uh be a player as it were cousins was much more likely to kind of be a ceo uh and so i think that there's um a lot to kind of adjust to when that happens uh and i think it's also easier at least initially uh for people to kind of fall in love with the kind of leadership style that Keenum has whereas for cousins you just kind of have to accept that this
1: is kind of the way things are and then it kind of it's very smooth from there. Now, now, given the point that the Vikings struggled throughout various points of the season, was Mike Zimmer's job ever in jeopardy? I don't think so. I know a lot of people thought that,
0: that Zimmer should have been kind of under the microscope. Um, I get it. Um, but, you know, I don't think so. Um, I think that um, it would take more than, I think, one middling year uh, for, for Zimmer to kind of lose his job. So the Vikings still kind of 8-8 eight, eight this year. You know, that's a real conversation to have. Um, but I think that, you know, with... Uh, some of the, the particular areas of the season, you know, um, you could say, you know, not that he deserved a pass, but that given how well he performed in the past to the Vikings, that he kind of gets another chance. Um, so obviously, you know, the offensive line, um, it would have been nice to, to kind of revamp that. And Zimmer had basically no control over the amount of injuries they had, especially if you count the preseason injuries, people like Nick Easton, in uh, the problem they had where Tony Sprott of the offensive line, judge passed away right before the season. Um, and those had had pretty big effects, but all the way to the individual level, technical stuff that you know he wants defensive to back to do this, he wants defensive to lineman to do this. So he
1: gets very, very involved. With the team. Now there was a point this year when they decided the Minnesota Vikings decided to let go of uh, offensive coordinator John D. Filippa, who many people are talking about was a head coaching candidate uh, earlier in the year as well, which I thought was kind of interesting. How much did Mike Zimmer have control of that firing, and how much was it that like he didn't like the direction the offense was going?
0: If he wanted to, uh, and, uh, and and kind of wrote it out for the year, um, but it was kind of motivated by him. The Vikings give him um, you know almost complete control of the staff, so um, the control of the firing was entirely uh, him. And uh, you know a lot of that had to do with the fact, obviously, the offense was not scoring a ton of points. Some of it had to do with the fact that the offense you know wasn't running the ball that much. So they thought that there was kind of a missed opportunity that was really glittering and obvious there. But yeah, I mean, the offense was performing well. They were in the middle of a playoff push. And I think that in a lot of situations, you know, if, you know, the Vikings weren't in in a situation where they had three games to win um, in in a row to finish up the season, they probably would have retained uh, Filippo and and let him, you know, work it out for another year. Um, But, you know, as it was, they had to make a quick change somewhere. The easiest change to make was that offensive coordinator. Uh, and so they promoted Vansky, and, and, and that ended up resulting
1: in kind of a fairly big change to the offense. You think that Mike Zimmer had a problem because I, I felt like the Vikings—they were more pass-heavy when Filippo was there than when Vansky was. Yeah, yeah. Just they, they definitely ran the ball a lot
0: more with Stavansky. Um, and you know I don't think that that's really the kind of the best way to run an offense in the, in the modern NFL. Um, but I understand where Mike Zimmer is coming from when it comes to that. Uh, and then also, I mean, you know, your boss deck, to run the ball more, Uh, you know, if you don't run the ball and the offense isn't doing well, uh, you shouldn't be surprised when you're let go. So, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of that. I don't know that that's the best approach to designing an offense. I think that that's um, kind of an outdated dictum. But, uh, yeah, they they definitely ran the ball more once Duganski took over um, to, to a pretty heavy degree.
1: And I want to know this because people were talking about John uh, D. Filippo being like this uh, next young high-shot offensive mind, similar to like a Sean McVay or a Kyle Shanahan, something of that nature. How good of an offensive mind is John D. Filippo? Um,
0: yeah, I think he's really smart. You know, I think that you know, so he is a big part of the red zone uh, play design for the Eagles. He when uh, when they were on their Super Bowl run, he was a big part of helping kind of design the offense, which the Bulls had to take over. Uh, and the Eagles were number one in red zone percentage that year. Uh, you know, obviously the Nick Foles offense took off in a big way. Nick Foles had much better numbers uh, in, late in season in 2017 and in the playoffs than he did the following year without, without you flip up there. Uh, and so there's a lot of evidence that he does a lot, and you can actually take a look at the Eagles website where he's broken down a lot of the plays in the red zone, uh, and he definitely knows what he's talking about. And then with the Vikings, he just kind of needed the year to figure out kind of all the responsibilities that come with being an offensive coordinator as well as all the things that go into, like stuff like play design, um, on, a, on a macro level uh, that he just needed a little bit of extra time. But, you know, I think that he's a smart guy. He knows what he's talking about. He's very willing to kind of, kind of share what he's learned uh, with other coaches and with the media and so on just kind of uh, you know every every job promotion kind of takes some time to get used to uh and so you know he didn't really have um that experience kind of behind him i know he was an offensive player for physical grounds um but he didn't kind of have that experience behind him um that would really allow him to kind of just jump in right away
1: now what do you think the vikings are going to do to improve for next year Now, when you mentioned Gary Kubiak, how much of an impact do you think Gary Kubiak is going to have on the organization? And my last question for you is this. What was your reaction to the Minnesota miracle last year in the divisional round against the Saints? that the most spectacular play you've ever seen?
0: Yeah, I think that, yeah, it might have been, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about plays like, uh, you know, Far to Lewis against the 49ers, kind of, you know, one of the plays that I remember as being kind of one of the most impactful in my life, um, but uh, yeah, the, the Minneapolis Miracles is probably, it's
1: probably number one. Okay. I want to thank you for coming on the show, appreciate it. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to tell you how trade rumors can have a detrimental impact, especially on certain type of players. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Sports Talk, and, uh, I want to thank Arif Assam for coming on the show again. Uh, appreciate him spending some time out of his day to come on the show. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. thought he made some really good points. Hope to hopefully have him on again uh, sometime in the near future. Now, and also, here's what I also want to say. Also, if you want to subscribe, there's a, uh, a little announcement right here. Uh, if you want to listen to this podcast, you know. That are just listening to this on the radio or uh, what have you not. Subscribe on iTunes. You know, help me out a little bit. Subscribe on iTunes, leave a five star review, then uh, give a nice comment. But if, I guess, if you don't like me for whatever reason, even though it's for me that's so hard to imagine, uh then don't say anything at all. Because my mom always told me, and teachers always told me, if you don't have anything nice, anything nice to say, then don't say it at all. But hopefully you will have something nice to say. Hopefully you will. Now, a lot of stuff going on in the NBA, like I said. I said this at the beginning of the show. Anthony Davis is requesting a trade. That's the head front of this to me. And I always find it interesting when we talk about trades. When we always talk about trades, we always talk about how does this affect the organization, the franchise, i.e., example, New Orleans. How does this affect New Orleans that Anthony Davis wants out? How does this affect... How can this help LeBron James potentially win a championship the throne? The Golden State Warriors if LeBron and Anthony Davis team up together. But here's what people are missing. How does this affect the young players because right now the Los Angeles Lakers have a bunch of young players on the roster and they got their butts whooped quite frankly by the Philadelphia 76ers on Tuesday and right after the trade rumors really start swirling around and there was a lot of steam and you know what I mean there's a lot of steam a lot of a lot of rumors coming around and you know I, I can relate to it because I'm their age like I'm Lonzo Ball's age I graduated and actually Lonzo's a year older than me but uh Lonzo 2016 shout out to the high school class of 2016 was going to be in 2020 shout out to 2022 uh but uh went to the NBA. Kyle Kuzma's around my age. Brandon Ingram's around my age. Josh Hart's around my age. So I'm in the same generation as these guys. So maybe I I can kind of put myself in their shoes a little bit. And I know if I was looking at being traded, you know, I would approach things a little bit differently. You might call that mental weakness or whatever, but it's just natural human emotion, right? It's just natural human emotion. I'm going to give you a little uh, quote by uh, Kyle Kuzma. He says, Being involved in trade talks can take its toll on professional athletes, but Los Angeles Lakers for Kyle Kuzma is choosing to look at this current situation from a positive perspective. As his name has come up in Anthony Davis' trade rumors, Kuzma told reporters Wednesday that he appreciates the fact that teams around the league view him as a valuable asset. Now, Kuzma's lying. He's kind of pissed because he thinks if he's such a valuable asset, why would you want to trade me? Not only to mention the fact that people like Kuzma, Lonzo, Ingram, Josh Hart, they all live in L.A., they are having a great time in L.A. Trust me. The sunshine, the nightclubs, the lifestyle, the prestige of being a Laker. Do you really think they want to lose all that and go to New Orleans? You know, it's really cool when you tell somebody, hey, yeah, I, I play for the Los Angeles Lakers. You say, hey, I play for the Pelicans. You're like, oh, <laughs> okay you played for the saints maybe we could talk a little bit maybe we could talk a little bit but uh, and then they're not the pelicans not the pelicans how does this affect their development how does this will affect their the players development and even guys like for the boston celtics jason tatum Jalen brown terry rozier these guys are hearing trade rumors too these guys you know if the trade deadline passes Danny Age, in all likelihood, because these guys, they're young. They listen to talk radio. They are on Instagram. They're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. They're on all these social media platform platforms. They hear what's going on. If they don't hear it, they have their boys tell them. They have their agents tell them. Mom and dad tell them. They have family members who tell them. They have handlers who tell them. That's the way it works. Everybody has rabbit ears. They have a phone 24-7. You know what's going on in the world. And they know if trade deadline passes, it's probably because their GM Danny Ainge made a deal with Dell Demps, the New Orleans Pelicans owner, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans GM, and told him, hey, if you hold off and don't and don't send Anthony Davis to the Lakers, we'll give you some of our young players, potentially Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier. Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier are almost certainly gone. Almost certainly gone. So you have a lot of stuff looking, and it's even worse when we talk about Boston. And you want to know why it's worse? Boston went to the conference finals, game seven last year, one game away from going to the NBA finals. They they had the game seven on their home court and they basically got LeBron James in the East. Well, who the hell hasn't gotten LeBron James in the East? It's what LeBron James does. He wins the East every year. And they lost. But it was just Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, all the young guys performed. Without Kyrie, without Gordon Hayward. So now how do the young guys in Boston look? How does Jason Tatum feel? You're fooling me around trade rumors? We were good enough without Gordon Hayward and Kyrie. Why are you trying to pair Anthony Davis up to play with Kyrie? We don't, even, we don't need Kyrie. Hell, take Gordon Hayward with you. We can do it on our own. That's what they're thinking. You know, you're young. You have confidence in yourself. So this is why these rumors can start having a detrimental impact, and it can start affecting players. Because you want to know what? When it comes to contract signing time, eventually somebody might be like, hey, you know, you were trying to stray me. I mean, if I, you know, you're fake. Man, you're fake. Have to look behind my back every time. Have to look behind my back because I can't trust you. You keep sneak dissing. You keep talking behind my back. You keep telling me you love me. But you're shopping for the next person the next day. That's not cool. It's not cool. Now, we're going to do a little uh, crazy, lazy, or maybe NFL edition. Juju Smith-Schuster on A.B. Bell. Steelers need to stop being Kardashians. Juju Smith-Schuster has an idea of how the Pittsburgh Steelers can get back on track in 2019. Appearing on Thursday's episode of First Take, Smith-Schuster said he wants his team to stop being the Kardashians. Maybe... Juju has a point. I mean, Le'Veon Bell's doing rap diss tracks out on here on these streets. Antonio Brown ain't showing up to work. Go The APB out for Antonio Brown. We don't know what the hell he's doing. We have offensive linemen calling people out. We have Ben Roethlisberger always deflecting blame. What is Mike Tomlin doing while all this dysfunction is going on? It kind of is like the Kardashians. It's a reality TV show. It's interesting, but not effective for winning football games. Juju Smith is right. Happy's taking on a leadership role. Roger Goodell. NFL understands Saints' frustration over missed PI versus Rams. Per NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, Goodell acknowledged the New Orleans Saints' frustration Wednesday and said the league will look into potential replay expansions. Goodell said, We understand the frustration they feel. Whenever the officiating is part of a discussion, it's not a good thing. But we also know our officials are human. We still look again at instant replay. Should replay be expanded? maybe Roger has a point. Listen, I, I know people are mad about what happened at the Saints game. It was a pass interference. It was hat hunting also, and it was helmet-to-helmet hit. The kid in the Cal hat. had. Uh, but, listen, bad calls happen all the time in sports. That's part of sports. The referees, they're human. They make human errors. They missed it. What are we going to do? Charles Woodson said this, and I will keep saying this to people that complain and cry wolf about this. I wish somebody felt bad for me when the tuck rule happened. That's what Charles Woodson said. Maybe you should all think about that, too. Cowboys rumors. Jason Garrett won't get contract extension before next season. Although the Dallas Cowboys won the NFC East for the third time in the past five seasons, head coach Jason Garrett reportedly won't receive a contract extension this offseason. According to ESPN's Todd Aker, Garrett will start the 2019 season with only one year remaining on his contract. Maybe... Maybe we need to we need to wait and see with Jason. We need to wait and see with Jason. Jason had three straight years when the team was eight and eight. They lost the last game of the season to make the playoffs. I don't know how I don't think he's that great of that coach. I think he's solid. But the Dallas Cowboys, their American team, they can certainly do a lot better than Jason Garrett. Josh Norman, Redskins, would have won Super Bowl with Alex Smith. The NFL postseason could have gone much differently if not for an injury to starting quarterback Alex Smith, according to Washington Redskins cornerback Josh Norman. The former Pro Bowler was asked by TMZ Sports, what would have happened if Smith never got hurt? We win the Super Bowl, Norman responded, why not? Crazy. What the hell is Josh Norman talking about? The Redskins would not win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith. You want to know why? Alex Smith last year played in Kansas City. He had Andy Reid, one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. He had Matt Nagy. On the staff one of the best offensive minds in the NFL he had Tyreek Hill he had Sammy Watkins actually no he did not have Sammy Watkins he had Travis Kelsey he had Kareem Hunt and guess where uh, Alex Smith got himself not the Super Bowl Alex Smith is not that guy he's a very good quarterback not an elite quarterback he will never win your Super Bowl but you will consistently win he will never win your games but he won't lose your games that's the MO on Alex Smith it just is what it is Le'Veon Bell rumors, Jets won't break the bank to sign Star in free agency. The New York Jets are expected to be among the players for running back Le'Veon Bell's services and free agency, but they reportedly aren't willing to overpay. According to Manish Meta of the New York Daily News, the Jets will not break the bank in order to sign Bell. Lazy. Listen. If you want Le'Veon Bell, you're going to have to break the bank. You're going to have to give Le'Veon everything he wants, else Le'Veon ain't coming to town. Some team will put a lot of money into Le'Veon Bell. There's been a lot of reports that have linked the Jets, specifically to Le'Veon, New York. If you want Le'Veon Bell on your roster, you're going to have to pay for him. It's just the way it is. And that's it for Crazy, Lazy, or Maybe. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to tell you about a little Super Bowl party coming up next after the break. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have friend Ben Karen, host of the Sports Squabler Podcast. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing well tonight, Daryl. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Now, Ben, you were just telling me before we got on air, you said this Super Bowl matchup isn't that interesting for you. Just tell us why.
2: to win the game. Uh, I think they're the better team. Uh, They certainly, in my opinion, have the superior head coach, uh, superior quarterback. So uh, what's boring uh, from a fan's perspective, in my opinion, is just the way New England really runs the offense. Um, They've got a really good uh, short passing game kind of with that uh, West Coast style offense. And they tend to pick up, you know, Six, seven, eight yards at a time. Tom Brady, uh, obviously very precise with the football. Uh, he almost operates like a surgeon out there on the football field. Uh, but, you know, his, uh, his age, in my opinion, showed up a little bit. You just uh, don't see him air the ball out uh, like he used to when he was a little bit younger. And a little bit of that, to me, would, would make the game uh, more interesting. I think when you look at the Rams, too, uh, really the running running attack is what, you know, is the major feature for their team. So I don't want to rain on the Super Bowl, but to me, I would have found it much more exciting if Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl, because I just, uh, I, I love watching Patrick Mahomes play.
1: Now, I have a question for you, Ben. Since you're from New England, I just want to ask you, like, what is the feeling around Brady and Belichick in New England? Like, how do you view those two? Well, how I view them, I think, is a little bit different uh, than how the majority of
2: New Englanders view them. I think the majority of New Englanders view them as essentially legends. I mean, they're pretty much worshipped uh, anywhere you go up in New England. But for the most part, I mean, you know, that's where the fan base seems to be the strongest, and there's a heck of a lot of support with some real diehard fans. There are, however, some people up there uh, that really despise them, too. And, you know, when you you have to hear about them all the time, like you do when you live in New England, it's going to come, you know, along with... uh, with some, some haters and some naysayers, uh, and there are some people that are really, really tough on them. Um, you know, in my opinion, I think that, um, when you have some scandals that have kind of followed you, um, that, that to me essentially says, uh, you know, not not necessarily that you're guilty, but the fact that things keep popping up over the years uh, seems to suggest that they might be guilty of some of these things, as far as the
1: Deflategate and, and a number of years ago Spygate, um, among other things. But uh, when it comes to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, how do you feel about them in terms of their legacies? Do you think they are the greatest coach and greatest quarterback of all time, respectively? And if not, how how much does cheating affect that with you?
2: To me, I don't think, uh, as far as Brady goes, that there's any question. Um, to me, Tom Brady is the greatest NFL quarterback to ever play the game. Barring, you know, information coming out after the fact. Um, I, I do stop and wonder a little bit about Tom Brady because he's 41 years old and he's still playing at a really high level, and you see other great quarterbacks, you're Peyton Mannings of the world and guys like that, and they're just falling off, and they don't even look like the same guy, and they're starting to really deteriorate in their late 30s. Um, you know, and, and I'm not necessarily insinuating that, uh, that Brady's using any kind of performance enhancers, but it, it does kind of raise my eyebrows, I think. Um you know, and I think it's either performance enhancers or just uh, that amazing diet that he's on. But, it, you know, as long as his reputation stays relatively clean from this point forward, I, I think he's the greatest uh, NFL quarterback to ever play the game. And He may be on his way to Super Bowl ring number six. As for Belichick, i not quite as sure uh, that I would consider him to be the best uh, coach of all time. When you kind of look around and you you see what other coaches have done, um, it's pretty impressive. I mean, he's one of the best for sure. Certain guys that have always caught my eye, though, are guys like Pete Carroll, guys like Jimmy Johnson, guys that have won both in college and in the pros, and and that. You know, to me, it's just really impressive because you have to coach, you know, football in two very different environments and breed success, uh, and that's something both of those guys have been able to accomplish. I think there's one other guy too, but his name is not uh, not coming to mind for me right now. Uh, Belichick, though, you know, I, I think the scandals also impact him a little bit more. And the public perception impacts him a little bit more. Tom Brady seems to be a pretty likable guy during interviews and such. Bill Belichick, not so much.
1: I would agree, I would agree with that, Ben. Now, Ben, here, I want to give you really quickly my take on the Super Bowl. You know, I was talking about this earlier in the show. When I look at these rosters uh, person by person, I'm like, besides head coach and quarterback, I think the Rams got him beat. I mean... They have they have better skill position players in my opinion. They have better uh, defensive backs. They have better linebackers. They have better. Uh, they have a way better defensive line. And I'm looking and I'm just relying on the greatness of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and Ben. In my opinion, if I'm thinking with my head, I think this could be a blowout. Like I, I'll tell you the truth. I would not be shocked if they were up 20. If the Rams were up 28 to three on the Patriots at halftime, just like the Falcons were in that Super Bowl. But i also tell you this. At the end of the day, I will not bet against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick because I saw what happened in the second half of that Super Bowl, and I saw Tom Brady come back and drive it to win the game in overtime. So I think the Patriots are going to win, but that's just my heart, and I just have a feeling they're going to win because I can't bet against them. Do you think that I'm crazy to think that the Rams are this much better than the Patriots?
2: Yeah, I think you're a little bit crazy.
1: <laughs> Thanks for telling me, Ben. <laughs> In all seriousness, man,
2: I, when when I look at uh, Julian Edelman in particular, you know, I mean, everyone says uh, Patriots don't have any offensive weaponry. Dude, Edelman has been one of the most clutch wide receivers in the game for like the last five, six years now. I mean, that catch he made in the Super Bowl against the Falcons is just unbelievable. And I,
0: I – I think you'll probably be, aside from Tom Brady, you know, the most
2: uh, valuable offensive player for either one of these teams in the Super Bowl this year. Um, you know, I, I really like Cooper Cup for the Rams, too.
1: Ben, I want to thank you coming, for coming on for that little bit of time. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, anytime, Daryl. Once again, I want to thank Ben Karen, host of Sports Squablet Podcast, for coming to the show. really appreciate it. Uh, you can check his podcast out on iTunes, uh, Apple, and you can check my podcast out on Apple, too. Type in Barbershop Sports Talk. You'll see Daryl Lane, little Barbershop logo. Subscribe. Like I said, leave five stars. You know, please. I, I would really much appreciate it in all seriousness. So now I'm going to tell you about the Super Bowl party. So this is what happened. Uh, Apparently, I guess on Sunday, there might be like 20 people in my room. I have like a small little complex type of thing. There's four people. So like some people, invited my one friend invited five people. He invited five other people. And then I guess some girls are coming. There's a lot of people. There's going to be like 20 people. And usually when Daryl watches football, Daryl likes to have his little notebook to be quiet and just soak in the plays, write down. I have a little notebook, a little, fo- a little football player, look like he's running, right? And I like to soak it in and type notes and, uh, and write notes. And have my little laptop on, looking at players, looking at stats, doing all this. This is what I do. That is what I like to do. I like to have the peace of mind quiet i don't like to be at these big super bowl parties where there's tons of people yelling screaming you know doing god knows what but i guess i'm going to be in that environment i'll let everybody know next week if i can bear it if this many people actually show up because i might actually go downstairs in the common room there's probably going to be hella people there too and i'm just going to try to find some peace of mind and some peace of quiet all i want to do is watch the super bowl It's not that hard. But anyway, that's what I'm going to be doing on Sunday. Everybody, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Once again, I want to thank Ben Karen, host of the Sports Squabbler Podcast, for coming on. always appreciate Ben's hot takes, uh, especially what he alluded to about Tom Brady. And I also want to thank Arif Hassan, Minnesota Vikings beat writer, for coming on and dropping some knowledge of what's going on with Kirk Cousins, what's going on with the Minnesota Vikings uh, organization, the parallels between Kirk Cousins and Case Keenan in terms of leadership. I thought that was extremely interesting and uh, shows a lot between the team's success from uh, last year and why the team might have not been as successful this year. But other than that, hope everybody has safe travels, have fun watching the Super Bowl as I will hopefully too. Like I said, the NBA is still in a little bit of headlines. Patriots over Rams. Tom Brady, last second comeback, 31 to 30. You heard it here first on the 30, on the 71st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. And thanks for tuning in to WJCU.